Thank you so much for coming. It's a great day to be alive. It's especially great to be alive in Michigan right now. I love the fall. And in just a couple of days, you know, the Lord's going to walk through the, start painting trees. I love all that. And uh, this is Jonah chapter one and verse five. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. I don't know about you, but sleep seems to always go pretty slow for me. I don't know how you sleep fast, but uh, my subject today is simply entitled In Defense of the Wares. In Defense of the Wares. God bless you. You may be seated. It's my personal opinion that there are lots of places in the Bible where I think people miss the point. Um, there's a scripture in the book of Ezra that talks about when they were dedicating the second temple. Solomon built a beautiful temple. But it was destroyed when Israel was invaded. And uh, through a very special man by the name of Nehemiah. The Bible said Nehemiah was the cupbearer of the king. It's a big deal. He's an Israelite slave, but the king literally trusted his life to him. And before the king would drink, Nehemiah not only drank what the king was drinking, he drank it out of his glass, his cup. And if Nehemiah would have fallen over and checked out, they would have known <laughs> somebody's trying to kill the king. So it's a big deal to think that a slave had gained such credibility that the king would trust his life to him. Nehemiah was the one who, you know, the king said, what's wrong with you? And it's a fascinating verse because he said, I had never, ever, ever been depressed. I never allowed the king to see my emotions. The king got enough to worry about. Don't have to worry about me. And he said, my heart is heavy because of my city, Jerusalem. King said, no problem, we'll take care of that. So a man named Darius gets on the bandwagon, and you have the introduction of a very interesting guy by the name of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel built the second temple. If you're a history buff, when they had the Six-Day War in 1967, there was a general, his name was Moshe Diane. He's the guy with the patch. You may have seen him. He told the prime minister, I'm in fear for the third temple because the Jews consider the nation of Israel the third temple. But you had Solomon's temple and it was destroyed. They're in captivity for 70 years. When they got out of captivity, that's what we're dealing with here in Ezra. They've rebuilt their church house. But it's it can't compare 
to the glory and the splendor and the expense of Solomon's temple. It says, but many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house, when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy. Pretty much everybody that I've ever heard talk about that verse or teach about that verse said, see there, the young men were worshiping and the old men were crying. Does, it's not what it means at all. It, it, it just, it was their, both of their ways of expressing their joy and gratitude. The old men were crying and young men were rejoicing, but they were all shouting aloud for joy. And, uh, this is 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 1. The very first verse of this two book, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. There was, I won't be able to pronounce all these names. There was a certain man of whatever that is, Ramathium Zophim of Mount Ephraim. His name was Elkanah. The son of Jeroham, the son of Eliu, the son of Toyu, the son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. Now, most people, when they talk about this thing and the beginning of the book of Samuel, they always go to the story of this woman by the name of Hannah. Hannah wanted a baby. And she went to church, and it says that the priest, his name was Eli, it said he marked her mouth. Most Orthodox rabbis believe he slapped her because he accused her of being drunk in church. And she said, Pastor, I'm not drunk. My spirit, I'm, I'm, I, I'm full of sorrow. I want a baby. And you got to understand some of the dynamics. For instance, here's 1 Samuel 4 and verse 18. It came to pass when he had made mention of the ark of God that he fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate. His neck broke. He died for he was an old man and he was heavy. This is verse 15 of chapter 4. Now Eli was 90 and 8 years old. And his eyes were dim. That he could not see. In 1 Samuel 3 and verse 1. It says the word of God was precious. Because there was no open vision. And then. 1 Samuel 2 and 12 says, Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial, or sons of the devil. They knew not the Lord. Now, there's synagogues all over the, all over the country, but there's this temple in Jerusalem. Three times every year, the men had to come to that temple. Eli is the high priest. 
He's almost 100 years old. He's obese. He's very fat. He's blind. He's a lousy preacher. <laughs> There's no open vision. There wasn't no revelation. There was, it was just... And on top of that, he's got whoremongers for sons. Bible talks about how they would wait in the outer court of the temple and seduce simple-minded women. And I don't know how many sermons I've heard about this stuff over the years. But what you have to understand in the book of Samuel the book doesn't begin with Hannah. It begins with her husband. The very first verse is not about Hannah. It's about this guy named Elkanah. And the real story that people miss here is the story about a father who continues to lead and guide his family in spite of all the negative things he could have agreed with his wife on and just quit going. I don't want to go to that church. That preacher slapped my face. He's just a fat, blind, lousy preacher, and he's a lousier dad. And he's got rotten kids. You have any idea what they did last week? <laughs> Let me teach you about the law of jealousy in the Bible. Numbers chapter 5 talks about the law of jealousy. If a man became suspicious that his wife was unfaithful to him, he would bring her to church. 5 and 17 says, And the priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel. And of the dust that is in the floor of the tabernacle, the priest shall take and put it into the water. Now, knowing where we are in scripture, you're talking about the tabernacle of Moses. The tabernacle of Moses had beautiful walls. And the inside of it, the, the, the ceiling was, was, women took gold thread on, and sewed big angels. In the, so the ceiling was magnificent at these Golden angels embroidered so the, the ceiling is beautiful and the walls are, but there's no floor in the tabernacle of Moses. And the priest would take holy water and then take dust, dirt from the floor of the church house. And he'd mix them together and she had to drink it. The holy and the dirty were mixed. If she was guilty, Bible said her belly would swell. It's a very crude scripture, but it said her thigh would rot. In other words, she'd never be able to have any children. But if she was guiltless, she could ingest the holy and the dirty, and not swell, and not rot, and she would conceive. 
5 and 28 says, And if the woman be not defiled, but be clean, then she shall be free and shall conceive seed. This is our test today. I'm wondering if there aren't times when the Lord is going to question our faithfulness to him. And as a way of revealing our true allegiance, he's going to mix something holy with some church dirt to see how we respond. Because there is dirt that goes on in a church. Is your belly going to swell? Are you going to rot and lose the ability to give birth to something wonderful? Or are you going to be able to handle the mixture of the holy and the dirty and still keep your priorities straight? See, this is what Elkanah was trying to show Hannah. It's not about who the preacher is. It's not about whether he's got good kids or not. We're not going to this church because of the preacher or his kids. We're going here because we serve the king. That's what we're going for. This is about our commitment to the Lord. Because if you will be faithful to the Lord, those rotten kids of Eli were slain in battle. Eli was fell off of a, a log and he was so fat he broke his neck. And that's not all. Everything that was absent in the ministry of Eli shows up in abundance in Samuel. Samuel was anointed. He did rule his house. Samuel anointed David. Samuel was the last of the judges and the first of the prophets. So the lesson is you keep your eye, your priority straight. You quit allowing people to burglarize your faith. Quit using someone else's faults or someone else's kids or someone else's shortcomings as justification for your lack of commitment. You be faithful and everything that was missing in that family can show up in yours. It just might be your son is the next pastor of the church. Might be your daughter that's the next pastor's wife or the next worship leader. And by the way, Lauren and your team, you were magnificent today. Yeah. You're magnificent. Draylen is ministering in Louisiana. We didn't get the B team. We just got the other part of the first string, okay? That's what we got. So uh, uh, 
Yeah, I miss Draylen, but not as much as I used to. We are very blessed to have so many wonderful people here. I thank you for that. I really do. So watch the story in the book of Jonah. There's a horrible storm. Jonah is asleep in the bottom of the ship. (laughs) They start throwing stuff out of the ship to lighten the load. It said they cast forth the wares. There's a story. There's only two storms in the New Testament in the four Gospels. There's several in the book of Acts, but when you're dealing with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's two storms. One of them, Jesus is asleep in the bottom of the boat. Now, you can understand a lot of these guys are fishermen. They've been in a lot of storms before, but this one got them scared. They go wake him up and they said, we're about to drown here. Do you even care that we're about to drown? Jesus said something very telling to them. He said, where's your faith? I think what he was saying is, I think you got more faith in the storm than you do in me. I said, when I got in this boat, we're going over. If I told you we're going over, we're not going under. Gets up in the bow of the boat and he goes, hey, I'm trying to sleep down here. And the wind goes, oh, it's the master. It's the master. Stan Aaron just asked me one of the most perceptive questions I've ever been asked in all of my years. He said, do you think, Brother Hoffman, that by the Lord coming here in flesh, he changed. And I'd never thought about that. And it was, yeah. <laughs> I guess I know he said, I'm the Lord and I change not, but God never had a body before. He'd never cried before. Bible said he wept over Jerusalem. God had never been in a storm on a ship before. (laughs) And when Jesus said, peace be still, let's face it, the wind had never heard the voice of God in flesh. Who is, oh, it's the Lord. Sorry, boss. The Bible said he rebuked the wind. I don't want to get sidetracked, but I studied waves several years ago because I got fascinated with this thing called rogue waves. You've got the Great Lakes. Now, they're the large inland seas, but they are limited with how far they can go. And when you, when you deal with waves, wind blows across the surface of water and it establishes a purchase on the top of the water. It's called cat paws. 
And that's the beginning of what we would call waves. And it all depends on several things. Number one, how hard is the wind blowing? Number two, how long is the wind going to blow at that speed? And number three, how far of a distance does the wind blow across the water? If you've ever dealt with that famous shipwreck, you know, uh, it, what was it, Gordon, what was his name, Lightfoot, that sang years ago? You remember the story? And... Uh, How did that ship sink? The only thing they can agree with is it encountered a rogue wave. And every now and then, there are waves that defy. They defy math. If the wind's blowing for this long, at this speed, over this distance, this is the maximum amount of height the waves can achieve. But every now and then, there are waves that just supersede all the math. Notice what Jesus did. He didn't rebuke the wave. He rebuked the wind. You fix the wind and the waves will disappear. And this is the problem in Jonah chapter one. See, everybody that, I, man, this, this is my business, okay? I make my living with my mouth. I, I have been preaching since I was 19. I'm 66. How many sermons have I heard? How many have I personally preached? Thousands, thousands of them. But I've never heard anybody talk about these guys. <laughs> Every time I come home from traveling, my wife said, did you make any money? <laughs> no. Lori Williams God bless her. Got a hold of my wife yesterday while we were in a truck. They got great sales at the resale shop in Rochester. My wife looks at me and only that way a wife can. Would you take me? And then she said this, it's my birthday month. <laughs> it's like, no, that's, that's an oxymoron. It's birthday. Okay? It didn't take 30 days for you to be born. It's birthday. <laughs> Ashley, August. Daddy, it's my birthday week. So I'm going, okay, I can play that game. Ashley had birthday week. Renee had birthday month. Next April, <laughs> birthday year from Moa. <laughs> Whole year dedicated to Harold. <laughs> I just can put my mind, I can could, I could sense this. These, these guys come home from this long trip and they walk into the house and I'm sure their, their wife said, how much money did we make? And they said, baby, I got some good news. I got some bad news. The good news, I'm alive. The bad news is we threw all the stuff over the side of the boat. 
You did what? Well, we just never, it took us a while to figure out the problem was the preacher in the bottom of the boat. It wasn't the boxes on top of the deck. It was that line preacher in the bottom of the ship. So my message is in defense of the wares. Be careful what you throw out. How many people have thrown out the Lord of their life, threw him out of their life before they would give up the habit that brought the chaos into their life? How many women will quit serving the Lord before they walk away from the man that they're dating that's brought the storm in their life? How many men will walk away from the Lord before they walk away from the woman that's brought such hell and havoc into their lives? How many times have I seen people use something in church to justify their own exit? <laughs> to spend the remainder of their life in those same terrible conditions and the things they would not tolerate in the church to be saved they will accommodate in the world and be lost. <laughs> My message today is about priorities in defense of the wares. Throw the stuff out of your life that's causing the storm. But don't throw away the valuable stuff. Throw away the bum in the bottom of the boat that's messed up your life. And it doesn't always have to be a man or a woman. I just learned a long time ago. <laughs> My dad, God love him, there, I, there probably wasn't a sentimental bone in his body. I mean, I mean, he was very kind to my mother. I saw him do amazing things with my mother. But I had a bag in my office. And it had every letter that Renee had ever sent to me. I kept all of them before we were married. And she had kept all the cards and the letters that I'd sent to her before we were married. I was on the phone last night with a dear friend of mine named Joseph Burr. He's been a missionary in Paraguay for over 35 years. Done an amazing job. Lene Steinke just came back from teaching in their school and he reminded me how much they miss him. They miss her. I conspired with Joseph while I was in Bible school. I dictated a letter to him that he sent to Renee. And the letter went something like this. Hello, Renee, you don't know me. My name's Joseph Burr. But my roommate here in college is Harold Hoffman. And all he does is talk about you. Would you do me a favor and send him a birthday card? Because I know he would dearly love to get a card from you. <laughs> she did. Rest is history. I had all these letters. The ones Renee sent me, the ones I sent her. I went in there one day and I said, Daddy, what did you do with that bag on my shelf? He said, oh, you mean all that junk that was in that black bag? He said, I just threw it away. <laughs> He just, my dad didn't like clutter. And uh, 
I just, I, I, I look at my life and it was like, there was a girl that I was spending time with one time. My mom met her and she's right there. She'll tell you she was terrified when she met her. There was a man in Columbus, Ohio named Jimmy Stewart, who was the superintendent of Ohio. We didn't know him personally. But he called my mother late one night and said, Sister Hoffman, I don't know your son, but I've been interceding all night for your boy. I think your boy's going to be okay because I believe I touched God for your son. <laughs> Let me tell you something about the enemy. He will send you something that's almost perfect. Almost. There'll just be one little fly in the ointment there, you know. And it usually will always have to do about your consecration to the king. Because when you think of it, it's all his, ladies and gentlemen. I go to Brother Hoffman's church. No, you don't. Don't ever say that. This is the Lord's church. The church is his. It's his word. It's his name. It's his spirit. It's his blood. It's all his. There's only one thing he can compliment us on. Faithfulness. Well done. They called me and said, do you know, do you have something you would like to put on your father's tombstone? I didn't have to think twice. I said, I know exactly what to say. Called, chosen, faithful. I have a friend, his name is Stan Gleason, pastor's amazing church in Kansas City, Missouri. They're going to put a picture behind me right now. This is Stan Gleason's grandfather, Turner Gleason. When we bought the land that we're going to build the new church on, it was all weeds, big, tall weeds in the back. When we finally got the deed to the land, my dad and I started walking through those weeds. And there were three outbuildings, about 10 by 10, back there in the weeds. We pried the door of one of them open, and it was full of little pieces of wood. There wasn't a piece of wood in there longer than 12 inches. Thousands of pieces of wood all the way to the ceiling. We went to the next building, and it was full of styrofoam egg cartons. Thousands of them. The whole building was full of those styrofoam egg boxes nested inside of one another. We went to the next building, and it was full of thousands of those cardboard cylinders that are left after the paper towels and the toilet paper are gone. Thousands of them. And I looked at my dad and I said, do you have, does this make any sense to you at all? And he said, oh, absolutely. Depression, Harold. You never lived through the depression. You didn't throw nothing away. Kate Bartell was 97 when she died. She went through that time and my dad described it again to me. Wall Street crashed in 1929. My dad would go 
to Sam's Club, then he would go to 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 um, Myers, and then he would go um, trying to save fifty cents on a pack of toilet paper for the church. Me. While he's trying to save 50 cents on a bag of toilet paper, I just write a check for 8,000 bucks. He's constantly on me. You never lived through the Depression era. You spend money like crazy. If you went through the Depression like I did, you wouldn't be so free to write those checks. And he was right. I didn't experience it. In 1931, Turner Gleason got a letter from a barrister, an attorney in London. Mr. Gleason, you are the sole surviving heir to a fabulous fortune. Over $3 million plus the manor, the ancestral home. The catch was he had to live there for a year in the ancestral house. If he would go and live for one year, he could have all the money plus sell the land if he wanted to and move back to America. I did the math this morning. One million dollars in 1931 is worth $20,200,000 today. But Turner wasn't in line to get $1 million. He was in line to get $3 million, which is $600 million, or $60 million, $600,000, plus the house and the acreage that went with the house, which I'm sure wasn't in a corrugated tin shack. This is way before the internet, way before any of the tools that we have now. For months, Turner Gleason tried to find a church that was anywhere close to this house that his family could attend. He couldn't find a church. He wrote the letter back to the lawyer. Keep the money. I'm not taking my kids out of church for a year. Stan told me it was in Oregon, Harold. It really wasn't that great of a church. But he wrote me this morning. He said, today, Harold, we have 151 relatives that are either pastors or pastor's wives or missionaries or involved in full-time ministry somewhere across the country. Because my grandpa said, keep the money. I'm staying in church. Turner knew what to throw out and what to hang on to. Turner was defending the wares. I just, this, listen to this verse. I'm almost done. For what saith the scripture? This is Romans 4 and 3. Abraham believed God and it was counted for righteousness. 
counts faithfulness the way we count money. <laughs> Literally, faithfulness is the currency in the realm of the spirit. Amen. Nothing means more to God than faithful men and faithful women. Yes. Boom. Picking them up, putting them down. Picking them up, putting them down. Picking them up, putting them down. I, I wrote this. Hope you don't have to use it anytime soon. But this is the prayer I want prayed at my funeral. Now that I have gone to God, bury my body, but do not bury my love for the lost. Bury my eyes, but please don't bury my vision for this church. Bury my feet, but not the path that I've chosen to walk on. Bury my hands, but please don't bury the efforts that I put my hands to. Bury my shoulders, but not the concern I carried. Bury my voice, but please don't bury the message that I preached. Bury my mind, but not my dreams. Bury me, but don't bury the life that I've tried to live in front of you. If you must bury something, bury my weaknesses, bury my flaws, bury my shortcomings, but let my love for this work carry on in the name of Jesus. And I don't know, I suppose the city ordinances won't allow this, but we got a lot of medical people in this church. When they do the autopsy on my body, get my heart and bury my heart on this property somewhere because that's where it's been for all these years. Don't throw away the wrong thing, brother and sister. Identify what's valuable. And whatever you do, identify the thing that's bringing the havoc and the hell in your life. If you're going to throw something out, get rid of your jealousy. Get rid of your bitterness. Get rid of your small-spiritedness, your small-mindedness. Get rid of your animosity towards people. Let's defend the wares. The stuff that really matters. Stand with me. Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Brother Michael. Brother John went back to Gaylord to work on the church again this week. Pastor Brown, so grateful. I could tell you story after story. I don't have time and you would get bored with me. I told Anthony Mangan one time, I said, this is a great church. And he said, no, it's a good church. It's not a great church. So I will side with my brother. 
I want you to know that I love you and I'm very, very proud of you. This is a very good place. This is a fitting place to serve our God and to go to the new Jerusalem from. Praise God. Come with me around an altar. My dad, my precious dad. Boy, my dad knew a lot of disappointments in his life. It, it was...
discard you. I don't ever want to cast you and throw you out of my life. If anything, Lord, I want you to be king. I want you to have more authority and more government in my life and more authority than you've ever, ever, ever had before. Because your word says there will be no increase. There will be no end to the increase of peace in our life if there's no end to the government that you have over us. So as we extend, Lord, we just lengthen our stakes. <laughs> I want you to be over all of me, God. I'm going to give you my todays, but I'm going to give you my yesterdays, and I'm for sure going to give you my tomorrows. I'm going to give you all my dreams and my plans and my ambitions, and I'm going to give you all my fears and my failures. Just going to give it all to you right now, Lord. Sift through our spirit right now, God. <laughs> Help us to know where the storm's coming from. Help us to identify what's really bringing the chaos into our lives. Help us to realize, Lord, the things that the enemy would like to devalue <laughs> are really the most precious thing that we have right now. Let's see if he counts it. 
one, two, three. I really believe God counts our faithfulness. Man, I, I want him to <laughs> run out of zeros. Go through this city. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And your wife will be in submission to it. I've never met a woman unwilling to submit to a man that she knows sacrificially loves her. I've never met one like that. Young people, you better thank God for your family. Thank God for what you have. Because I can tell you stories that will curl your tails of just people that never had it as good as you've got it right now. Go from this place. If you can't afford to tip, you can't afford to eat out. You eat at home, don't eat out. Don't be a cheapskate bug, okay? Go if you can. Bless that woman with them swollen ankles. That grandma there that's working here because all she's got is social security and she doesn't know how she's going to pay for her heart medication next month. Make a difference in your life. I know it's goofy, but we got people all over the city sitting at the corner. I'm not saying you have to give to all of them, but ask God to direct you because you just could make the difference in somebody's life simple act of kindness. I love you. It's been an honor to teach you the word of the Lord today. Remember the wares. Throw up the thing out of your life that's causing the storm. But don't throw the valuable stuff over the side of the ship, okay? Greet one another. It's an honor to be in church with you.